Hello everyone, welcome to Knox Bedtime Stories. I'm your friend Joey, here with another episode to help you relax, feel safe, and fall asleep. It's 10pm here, I hope you're all being kind to yourselves, staying away from the news cycle, and are surrounding yourselves with positive content, like Knox Bedtime Stories. On tonight's episode, instead of a good news story, I'm going to read you a few jokes I found that are sure to make you feel a little happier, followed by tonight's sleep stories around around in fairy rings. It's four stories about fairies that come from legends all over the world. If you're new here to the Knox family, welcome. I hope I'm able to bring you calm and comfort at bedtime for a long time to come. From here on out, nothing exists except you, me, this beautiful fireplace, and the bed couch or floor you're laying on. Before we get to tonight's stories, ask yourself this question. What is a good night's sleep worth to you? Does the podcast help you relax, feel safe, and fall asleep once a month, once a week, five days a week? If it does, please consider becoming a patron for as little as $2 a month. That's the price of a cup of coffee a month. There are various rewards for you, including over 30 episodes of bonus content. These episodes can take me in excess of 20 hours to put together. It's a lot of work, and I do it all for you. You can become a Patreon member by going to KnoxBedtimeStories.com and clicking the Patreon link or Patreon.com slash KnoxBedtimeStories. Now, I want you to get into bed and lay down in whatever way is comfortable. Make sure the bed takes your full weight. It's time to turn off all negative thinking. You deserve a good night's rest. Alright, let's read a few of these jokes to get into a better mood, and then we'll get right into tonight's story, Around Around in Fairy Rings. I sent one of these jokes to my daughter, and she found it hilarious. See if you can figure out which one it is. This first one is called Dividing Souls. On the outskirts of a small town, there was a big old pecan tree just inside the cemetery fence. One day, two boys filled up a bucket full of nuts and sat down by the tree out of sight and began dividing the nuts. One for you, one for me, one for you, one for me, said the boy. Several dropped and rolled down toward the fence. Another boy came riding along the road on his bicycle. As he passed, he thought he heard voices from inside the cemetery. He slowed down to investigate. Sure enough, he heard, one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me. He just knew what it was. He jumped back on his bike and rode off. Just around the bend, he met an old man with a cane hobbling along. Come here quick, said the boy. You won't believe what I heard. Satan and the Lord are down at the cemetery dividing up the souls. The man said, beat it, kid. Can't you see it's hard for me to walk? When the boy insisted, though, the man hobbled slowly to the cemetery. Standing by the fence, they heard, one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me. The old man whispered, boy, you've been telling me the truth. Let's see if we can see the Lord. Shaking with fear, they peered through the fence 
yet were still unable to see anything. The old man and the boy gripped the wrought iron bars of the fence tighter and tighter as they tried to get a glimpse of the Lord. At last they heard, one for you, one for me, that's all. Now let's get those nuts by the fence and we'll be done. They say the old man had the lead for a good half mile before the kid on the bike passed him. This next one is called, I was in a long queue at a drive-thru. I was in a long queue at a drive-thru this morning, and the young lady behind me leaned on her horn because I was taking too long to place my order. Take the high road, I thought to myself. So when I got to the first window, I paid for her order along with my own. The cashier must have told her what I'd done because, as we moved up, she leaned out her window and waved to me and mouthed, thank you. Obviously embarrassed that I had repaid her rudeness with kindness. When I got to the second window, I showed them both receipts and took her food too. Now she has to go back to the end of the line to start all over. Don't honk your horn at old people. Alright, and this last one is called, A Man Has Been Drinking All Day at a Bar. A man has been drinking all day at a local bar and checks his watch. 1.30 a.m., rats. I need to go home now or my wife's going to kill me, he thinks to himself. But as he's trying to get up, he falls awkwardly on the floor. I'm just way too drunk right now. I need to sober up. So he asks the bartender for a coffee. He drinks it up and 30 minutes later he tries to stand up, but again, falling to the floor this time even harder. At this point, he realizes he needs to get home no matter what, so he starts crawling towards his house. After 40 minutes, he gets there, lays down next to his sleeping wife, and passes out. The next morning, his wife wakes him up and starts shouting at him. So, how was last night, huh? Was it fun drinking all day? The man is certain his wife was asleep when he got home, so he tries to play it cool. Not really, just hanging with some co-workers. We didn't drink much, just a couple of beers. His wife starts nodding sarcastically and responds. The bar owner called this morning. You left your wheelchair there. <laughs> All right now, let's get comfortable in bed. Say to yourself, my bedroom is a place of peace and relaxation. When I enter this room and crawl into bed at night, today's thoughts naturally begin to soften. My burden lightens and sleep is coming. Let's get to tonight's story, Around Around in Fairy Rings, set to sleep-inducing music in this beautiful fireplace. If you're not already laying down, please do so in whatever way is comfortable. And let's begin. Come, come to the fairy story hour in the moonlit meadow. Fairies, fairies everywhere. Hear them come, see them come in the pale moonlight to this lovely meadow. They rush through the air. They throng from the wood. They spring up from the ground. They peep from the flowers and leaves. They are all hastening to the fairy story hour. The midsummer moon is shining shining while the midsummer breeze is swaying, swaying the harebells, lilies, and grasses. Laughter whisper, laughter whisper. See through the air comes gliding a whole host of radiant little fairies. 
They poise lightly on their silvery wings and float down to the harebells and lilies. They flicker over the meadow like gay butterflies. Laughter whisper. Hum whir, hum whir. What is that noise in the treetops? From among the dark leaves fly hundreds and hundreds of broad-backed beetles, bumping and thumping each other. They are followed by a silent cloud of bats that wheel and whirl and flap their leathery wings. And to the back of every beetle and every bat clings a tiny roguish elf peeping down at the meadow below. Rap tack, tack rap, tack tack. From behind each tree trunk steps a little leprechaun as big as your thumb. They are the fairy shoemakers. Their long beards and red caps wag in the moonlight. And the little men smile and chuckle to themselves. For well, they know where the pots of fairy gold are hidden. Near them, peering from behind stones and bushes, are the curmudgeons, rolling their mischievous eyes. Skip, skip, knock, knock. What have we here? From out of the earth pours a swarm of little spriggans and pixies gaily dressed, and knockers with their tiny hammers in their tiny hands. They have left the meadow and moors, They have left the mines of tin and copper, and the diamond caves to come to the fairy story hour. How they hustle, how they bustle out of the earth. Gallop a trot, gallop a trot. What comes from the wood? A long line of prancing goats and house cats, and on the back of each is a house elf, to be sure. The brownies, the boggarts, the tomps, and piskies are all there. They have left their snug corners in human homes. They have left cellars, barns, and threshing floors. They have left bowls of clubbered cream on warm hearthstones to come to the fairy story hour. And who is this that lights their way with a will-o'-the-wisp lantern? Tis Robin Goodfellow, freakish elf ho-ho-ho. Sing cling, sing cling. What are these that come sailing through the air? Mother of pearl boats with coral masts and sails of sea lace. Each little boat is crowded with sea queens and water fairies. Their green hair is long and flowing, and their robes are of rainbow spray. And near them, astride frisky seahorses, are the kelpies, blowing loudly on their conch shell trumpets and each kelpie is armed with a shield of pearl and a swordfish weapon. They have all left the foaming green waves and the pink coral palaces to come to the fairy story hour. Now listen, listen. The harebells and lilies are ringing sweet music, while from meadow flowers and acorn cups and forest nuts tumble lazy, sleepy elves rubbing their eyes and hastening to join the others at the fairy story hour. The harebells and lilies ring louder and louder, and from out the cool wood steps King Oberon and Queen Mab, with all their fairy train that glitters in the moonshine like a long string of jewels. The royal train advances into the middle of the meadow. The king and the queen seat themselves on a throne of moss, At their left is a capering puck mowing and mouthing at their right, 
Ariel, the sweetest singer. All present bow themselves before the throne. See, Queen Mab raises her wand, and each little elf and fairy scurries and hurries to make himself comfortable. Some sway on the blades of grass, others climb the flower stalks and curl up inside the fragrant blossoms, while still others swing and rock in the trees or nestle among the ferns and under toadstool umbrellas. Every wee elf and every tiny fairy and every little imp from all over the world is here. Indeed, all the members of the entire fairy family are present except the human-sized ones. They are too busy to come. The elfin princes are searching cottages and palaces for mortal brides to carry off to fairyland. The elfin nurses are leaving changelings in babies' cradles, while the fairy godmothers are far away, bestowing wonderful gifts on good children and punishing bad ones. Look, look, Queen Mab waves her wand. The fairy story hour is beginning. All is hushed. Listen now to the fairies' tales. Part 1. Fairy Lore and Elfin Legends Around around in fairy rings, in the glowing light of a summer sky when the fields are clad in green. Oft in their midst, with a sunnier dye, may the fairies' ring be seen. Tis a circle formed by the tiny feet of the elves as they dance around. When the moon rides high, it is there they meet, and merrily tread the ground. Adventures of Robin Goodfellow from Merry England how Robin Goodfellow was born. Once upon a time, when men did eat more and drink less, when men did know no knavery, there were wont to walk many harmless sprites called fairies, dancing in brave order in fairy rings on green hills to sweet music. These sprites would make themselves invisible, and many mad pranks would they play, pinching careless housemaids black and blue and turning ill-kept houses topsy-turvy. But lovingly, they would use neat housemaids, giving them silver and other pretty toys, which they left in the maid's shoes and pockets, or in bright kitchen pans. Now, in those fairy days, there was born on earth a tiny elfin boy whom folk called Robin Goodfellow. And wonderful were the gifts from Fairyland that came to Robin when he was a baby. In his room, suddenly would appear rich embroidered cushions, delicate linen garments, and all sorts of delicious things to eat and drink. So he was never in want. Now, when Robin was grown to six years, he was so mischievous that the neighbors all complained of his pranks until he was forced to run away. He wandered about until he began to get hungry, then going to a tailor, he took service with him. He remained there until he grew so mischievous that he was obliged to run away again. How he received a message from Fairyland. After he had traveled a good day's journey from the tailor's house, he sat down by the wayside, being weary, fell asleep. No sooner had he closed his eyes. Then he fancied he saw beings tripping on the grass before him to the sound of sweet music. 
and when he awoke, he found to his surprise a scroll lying by on which were these verses written in letters of gold. Robin, my only son and heir, for food and drink take thou no care. Wish what thou wilt, and thou shalt have the power to tease both fool and knave. Change when thou wilt thine elfish shape to horse or hog or dog or ape, and scare each idle dirty maid and make all wicked men afraid. But love thou those that honest be and help them in necessity. Do thus and all the world shall know the pranks of Robin Goodfellow. If thou observe my just command one day thou shalt see fairyland. Robin, having read this, was very joyful, for he perceived that he had fairy power. He straightway wished for something to eat, and it appeared before him. Then he wished himself a horse, and no sooner did he say so than he became a handsome colt, curveting and leaping about. He wished himself a dog, and was one. After that, he turned himself into any shape he liked. Then, taking his own form again, he once more started on his travels. Oh, his mad pranks, ho, ho, ho. And from that time forward, many were the merry tricks Robin played on those he met. Once seeing a rude and clownish fellow, searching for a lost horse, Robin turned himself into a horse and led the rude man a chase over field and briar, until he allowed the man to catch him and mount his back. Then, Robin jumped into a stream, and turning into a fish, swam to the shore and ran away, laughing, ho ho ho, leaving the man to get out of the water as best he could. At night, Robin often visited farmers' houses, and helped the neat housemaids with their work, breaking their hemp, dressing their flax, and spinning their yarn. One night he came to a house where there was a good and handsome maid, and while she slept Robin did her work, more than she could have done in twelve hours. The maid wondered the next morning to see all done so finely, and that night she was watched to see what would follow. At twelve of the clock in came Robin, and singing, fell to work breaking her hemp and doing her spinning, and as he worked he sang a mad song. Within and out, in and out, round as a ball, with hither and thither as straight as a line, with lily and germander and sops of wine, with sweetbriar and bonfire and strawberry wire and columbine. The maid seeing that he had no clothes pitied him, and the next night she laid out a little suit that she had cut and sewed during the day. Robin coming in spied the clothes, whereat he started and said, "'Tis not your garments new or old that Robin loves. I feel no cold. Had you left me milk or cream, you should have had a pleasant dream. Became you left no drop or crumb, Robin never more will come." And with that, he ran out of the door, laughing loudly, ho, ho, ho. And many other mad pranks did Robin Goodfellow play. At times, he turned himself into a will-o'-the-wisp, 
misleading lovers who came over the heath. At other times he punished knaves and idle maids, or rewarded good and worthy people. And always he ran laughing, ho ho ho. How he danced in the fairy ring. At length Oberon, king of fairyland, seeing so many honest and merry tricks, called one night to Robin as he lay sleeping in the green wood. Robin, my son, come, quickly rise. First stretch, then yawn, and rub your eyes. For you must go with me tonight to dance with fairy, elf, and sprite. Come quickly now, my roguish son, tis time our sports were well begun. Robin, hearing this, woke and rose hastily, and looking about, saw in the moonlight King Oberon and many fairies with him dressed in green silk. And all these did welcome Robin Goodfellow into their company. King Oberon took Robin by the hand and led him a dance. King Oberon took Robin by the hand and led him a dance. And nearby sat little Tom Thumb, the fairy piper, no bigger than a plum. His bagpipe was made of a wren's quill and the skin of a tiny bug. This pipe made music so shrill and sweet that naught might be compared to it. Then all the fairies for joy did circle Robin around and in a ring did dance about him. And Robin Goodfellow danced in the midst of them and sang this song. Quick and nimble, quick and nimble, round about little ones. In and out, wheel about, run, hop, or amble. Elves, urchins, goblins all, and little fairies. Who do pinch black and blue idle maids in dairies. Make a ring on the grass with your quick measures. Tom shall play, and I will sing for all your pleasures. Quick and nimble, quick and nimble, round about, little ones. In and out, wheel about, run, hop, or amble. Thus they danced for a good space, then sat themselves down upon the grass, and the fairies told Robin of many elfish tricks and merry capers. Until the time passing, a shepherd in a field nearby blew his pipe so loudly that he frightened little Tom Thumb. The fairies punished the shepherd by the loss of his pipes, so that they presently broke in his hand to his great amazement. Hereat Robin Goodfellow laughed, ho ho ho. The morning being come at cock crow, the fairies hastened away to fairyland, where I think they yet remain. The Potato Supper Some folks say that the little people, the fairies, were once angels that were cast out of heaven for their sins. They fell to earth and grew smaller and smaller. And today, they dance on moonlit nights in fairy rings, and play all manner of pranks. Be that as it may, one night a merry troop of them was capering in the moonshine. On a nice green sward by a river's bank, the little fellows were dancing hand in hand, with their red caps wagging at every bound. And so light were their feet that the dew trembled, but was not disturbed. So they danced, spinning around and around, and twirling and bobbing and diving until one of them chirped. Cease, cease with your humming. Here's an end to your mumming. 
By my smell, I can tell that a priest is now coming, and away all the fairies scampered as fast as they could. Some hid under the green leaves of the foxglove, their little caps peeping out like crimson bells. Others crept under the shadow of stones or beneath the bank of the river. And scarcely had they done so when along came Father Horrigan, riding slowly on his pony. He was thinking to himself that he would end his journey at the first cabin he came to. And so he did, for soon he stopped at the little house of Dermot Leary, and lifting the latch, walked in with a blessing on all here, and a welcome guest, you may be sure, was Father Horrigan, for no man was better loved in all that country. But when Dermot saw him enter, he was troubled, for he had nothing to offer for supper except some potatoes that his wife was boiling in a pot over the fire. Then he remembered that he had set a net in the river. There will be no harm, thought he, in my stepping down to see if anything has been caught. So down to the river went Dermot. He found as fine a salmon in the net as ever jumped from water. But as he was taking it out, the net was jerked from his hands, and away the salmon went, swimming along as though nothing had happened. Dermot looked sorrowfully at the wake that the fish left shining like a line of silver in the moonlight. May bitter luck attend you night and day, cried he, shaking his fist. Some evil thing sure it was that helped you, for did I not feel it pull the net out of my hand? You're all wrong, Dermid. There were a hundred or more of us pulling against you, squeaked a little voice near his feet. And the whole troop of fairies, hundreds and hundreds of them, came rushing from their hiding places and stood before him, their red caps nodding violently. Dermid gazed at them in wonder. Then, one of the fairies said, Make yourself no ways uneasy about the priest's supper, Dermot Leary. If you will go back and ask him one question for us, there will be as fine a supper spread before him in no time as ever was put on a table. I'll have nothing to do with you all, at all, answered Dermot. I know better than to sell my soul to the likes of you. But the little fairy was not to be repulsed. Will you ask the priest just one civil question for us, Dermot, said he. Dermot considered for a moment. I see no objection, said he, to the same. But I'll have nothing to do with your supper, mind that. The little people all crowded near him while the fairy answered, Go and ask Father Horrigan to tell us whether our souls will be saved at the last day. And if you wish us well, Dermot Leary, you will bring the word that he says. Away went Dermot to his cabin. Please, your reverence, said he to Father Horrigan, may I make bold to ask your honor a question? What is it, said Father Horrigan? Why then, said Dermot, will the souls of the little people be saved at the last day? Who bids you ask that question, Leary, said Father Horrigan, fixing his eyes sternly on Dermot. I'll tell no lies about the matter, nothing in life but the truth, answered Dermot. "'Twas the little people themselves who sent me. They are in thousands down on the bank of the river, waiting for your word.'
Go back, said Father Horrigan, and tell them that if they want to know, they must come here to me themselves, and I'll answer that and any other question. So back Dermot hurried to the river. The fairies came swarming around him. They pressed close to his feet, with faces upturned as they anxiously waited. And Dermot, brave man that he was, spoke out boldly and gave them the priest's message. And when they heard that, the whole multitude of little fairies uttered shrill cries and groans, and they whisked past Dermot in such numbers that he was quite bewildered. Then, in a trice, he found himself alone. Dermot gazed at them in wonder. He went slowly back to his cabin. He opened the door. The fire was burning brightly, the candles were lighted, and good father Horrigan was seated comfortably at the table, a pitcher of new milk before him and a bit of fresh butter from Dermot's cow. And Dermot's wife was handing him a big handsome potato, whose white mealy insides were bursting through its skin and smoking like a hard-ridden horse on a frosty night. Dermot sat down at the table and began to eat without a word. And when Father Horrigan was through, the good priest smacked his lips and said that he had relished the hot, tasty potatoes, more than a dozen fat salmon, and a whole fairy feast. The Milk White Calf and the Fairy Ring from Ireland In Tipperary is one of the most singularly shaped hills in the world. It has a peak at the top like a conical nightcap. On this very peak long years ago, a herdsman spent his nights and days watching the herd. Now, the hill was ancient fairy ground, and the little people were angry that the scene of their light and their airy gambols should be trampled by the rude hoofs of bulls and cows. The lowing of the cattle sounded sad in their ears, so the queen of the fairies determined to drive away the herdsmen. One night, the moon shone brightly on the hill. The cattle were lying down. The herdsman, wrapped in his mantle, was watching the twinkling stars, when suddenly there appeared before him a great horse with the wings of an eagle and the tail of a dragon. This beast hissed loudly and spat fire, and while the herdsman was looking on, half dead with fright, it turned into a little old man lame of leg, with a bull's head around which flames were playing. The next moment, the little old man changed into a huge ape with duck's feet and a turkey's tail. And when the queen of the fairies, for of course it was she, roared, neighed, hissed, bellowed, howled, and hooted so fearfully that the poor herdsman in terror covered his head with his mantle. But it was of no use, for with one puff of wind, she blew away the fold of his mantle, let him hold it never so tightly. As for the poor man, he could not stir or close his eyes, but was forced to sit there gazing at this terrible sight, until his hair lifted his hat half a foot from his head, and his teeth chattered so that they almost fell out of his mouth. Meanwhile, the frightened cattle scampered about like mad, as if bitten by fleas, and so they continued to do until the sun rose. Then, 
the fairy queen disappeared. Night after night, the same thing happened, and the cattle went mad. Some fell into pits or tumbled into the river and were drowned. By and by, not a herdsman was willing to tend the cattle at night. The farmer who owned the hill offered triple and quadruple wages, but not a man was found who would face the terrors of the fairy ring. The herd gradually thinned and the fairies on moonlit nights danced and gambled as merrily as before, sipping dewdrops from acorn cups and spreading their feasts on the heads of mushrooms. Now, there dwelt in that part of the country a man named Larry Houlihan, who played on the pipes better than any other player within 15 parishes. A dashing roving blade was Larry, and afraid of nothing. One day, the farmer met him and told him all his misfortunes. One day, the farmer met him and told him all of his misfortunes. If that is what ails you, said Larry, make your mind easy. Were there as many fairies on the hill as there are potato blossoms in Tipperary, I would face them. It would be a queer thing indeed if I, who was never afraid of a proper man, should turn my back on a fairy, not the bigness of one's thumb. Larry, said the farmer, do not talk so bold, for you know not who is hearing you. But if you make your words good and watch my herds for a week on top of the hill, your hand shall be free of my dish till the sun has burnt itself down to the bigness of a farthing rushlight. The bargain was struck and Larry went to the hilltop when the moon was beginning to peep over its brow. He took a seat on a big stone under a hollow of the hill with his back to the wind and pulled out his pipes. He had not played long when the voices of the fairies were heard upon the blast, like a low stream of music. Presently they burst into a loud laugh, and Larry could plainly hear one say, What, another man upon the fairies ring? Go to him, queen, and make him repent of his rashness. And away they flew, and Larry felt them pass by his face like a swarm of midges. Looking up hastily, he saw, between the moon and him, a great black cat, standing on the very tip of its claws, with its back up, and mewing with a voice like a watermill. Presently it swelled up toward the sky, and turning round on its left hind leg, whirled till it fell to the ground. Then it started up in the shape of a salmon, with a cravat round its neck, and wearing a pair of new top boots. Go on, my jewel, said Larry. If you dance, I'll pipe, and he struck up. But the queen of the fairies, for, of course, it was she, turned into this and that and the other, but still Larry played on as well as he knew how. At last, she lost patience and changed herself into a calf, milk white as the cream of cork and with eyes as mild as those of a loving girl. She came up gentle and fawning, and hoping to throw him off his guard, and then to work him some wrong. But Larry was not so deceived, for when she came near, dropping his pipes, he leaped on her back. Now, from the top of the hill, as you look westward, you may see the broad river Shannon, full ten miles away. 
On this night, its water shone beautifully under the moon, and no sooner had Larry leaped on the back of the Fairy Queen than she sprang from the hilltop and bounded clear at one jump over the Shannon. It was done in a second, and when she alighted on the distant bank, she kicked up her heels and flung Larry on the soft turf. No sooner was Larry thus planted than he looked her straight in the face and cried out, By my word, well done. That was not a bad leap for a calf. She gazed at him for a moment, and then, assuming her own shape, said, Larry Houlihan, you are a bold fellow. Will you go back the way you came? And that's what I will, said he, if you'll let me. So she changed to a calf again, and Larry got on her back. At another bound, they were standing inside the fairy ring. Then the queen, once more assuming her own shape, addressed him. You have shown so much courage, Larry Houlihan, said she, that while you keep herds on this hill, you shall not be bothered by me or mine. The day dawns. Go down to the farmer and tell him this. And if anything I can do will be of service to you, ask and you shall have it. She vanished accordingly, and kept her word in never visiting the hill during Larry's lifetime, but he never troubled her with requests. He piped and ate and drank at the farmer's expense, and roosted in the chimney corner, occasionally casting an eye on the herd. He died at last, and is buried in a green valley of the pleasant Tipperary. But whether the fairies return to the hill after his death is more than I can say. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a 5-star rating on Apple Podcasts. If you found the show helpful and want to make sure it's around for others to enjoy, please go to KnoxBedtimeStories.com and click the Patreon button. There are various rewards, and it ensures the show will be here for a long time to come. I wish you all a good night's sleep and a happy, peaceful life. May the best of your todays be the worst of your tomorrows. Good night.